I do have something, uh, I, I, so I know I've changed the credits an awful lot, Uh but I was, I, I, I came up with a funny idea the other day. Uh I came up with a funny idea and I just wanted to run it by you. Okay. What if in the credits I refer to Silas as the cowboy? Sure. Like in that tone of voice? Yes. Like specifically the cowboy. You know what? I, I give my blessing. Oh, good. (laughs) Good. I'm so happy. I haven't, I hadn't, it's not like I've recorded it already or anything, but like, Mm -hmm. I just, the, I, I, I'm really excited about, you know, the cowboy doing all our audio editing. You had a lot, emotionally speaking, riding on that (laughs) being approved. I was very invested in approval Mm -hmm. of the cowboy. In the modern day, one might regard the Disney Corporation as one with an unlimited budget and an all-encompassing grasp when it comes to creativity. But what if I were to tell you that there was once a time when quite the opposite was true? What happens when the circumstances are so dire that cash and creativity are both thinly stretched as to be threadbare? What does one find at the very back of the bottom shelf in a room of shelved ideas? Gold or grime? What does the worst Scottish accent in the world sound like? And more importantly, we ask the question, has this company finally learned how to draw horses? Hi, my name is Nate Conrad. This is my friend, Abby Rose. Today we close the chapter in Disney history known as the wartime era, or the package film era, with the feature films Melody Time and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Join us as we hold hands and walk together into the end of season two, leaving behind all the scrimping, saving, and repurposing as we continue dissecting the mouse. It's like the thing where you have so many different, like, so many different tasks to do that you just don't do anything. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that paralysis. I know that well. I live with that bitch. Yeah, me too. And that's that's what this has been, because it's not just that we're doing two movies, which is a lot, but it's we're doing, like, you know, uh, Ichabod and Toad has two films, essentially, two smaller stories. And then the mm-hmm. other, Melody Time, has seven. So that in itself is like nine individual little things that we have to do plot outline and source material and bleh. So yeah. it's just been been a rough, a rough starter. And I got COVID. Oh, yeah. Abby, you got COVID. <laughs> and I got COVID. And it wasn't even my fault. I mean, not we've that. Gone from, we've gone from medicinal stab wound to the plague. Yeah, but whatever, whatever. Um, stay home, guys. Wear masks. Do all the things. Wear masks. It's the smart thing to do. It's the polite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's the, it's the bare minimum that anyone can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for anybody who still is like, does COVID really exist? I don't know. Yes. You are not allowed to listen to our podcast. <laughs> it's yeah, like how no. Jim how Jim Gaffigan, sorry I interrupted you, but I was going to say, it's like how Jim Gaffigan says, you know, you're allowed to eat ranch on pizza, you just you just can't vote. <laughs> you just can't vote anymore. <laughs> like, that hurts. 
uh, you're allowed to to think COVID's a myth. You're just not allowed to listen to our podcast anymore. Abby, will will you think less of me if I tell you that there are some pizzas I will put ranch on? I I won't because I think it's a choice. But yeah. then again, I think ranch is is more acceptable than the other type that you prefer that I do not like. What do you mean, like barbecue sauce? Pineapple and ham. Oh, that's <laughs> pineapple and ham is what I eat ranch with. Oh my god! Well, you know, at least you lump all your sins together. At least it's all just <laughs> Get taking all care out of. The way at once. Yay! Yay! Um, on our good Christian podcast where we talk about Johnny Appleseed. Good Christian. He's a, he is he really is a young buck. He's a good Christian boy. He's a good Christian boy. And we oh get Lord. to talk about my crush today. It's not Johnny Appleseed? It is not Johnny Appleseed. Oh no. <laughs> it is it is Mr. Washington Irving. I had the biggest crush on him when I was younger. <laughs> I am so excited uh, to hear about cuz I've heard about yeah. your crush yeah. on Washington Irving and I'm so excited to hear the world hear about your crush yeah. on Washington Irving. Yeah. Well, and I'm not judging you. I No, it's I, okay. You've shown me a picture. I understand. Yeah, he was a cute little boy. Um, I will say I, I held back. I didn't do like a biography on Washington Irving. I probably should have. I don't know. Um, or maybe not. But most of my source material, I... I tried to scale back and made it just about the legend of sleepy hollow so valid i suppose so abby so nate i am very glad to be sitting down with you and mm-hmm. uh recording for mm-hmm. uh, listeners won't know this but we're recording for the first time in like three months yes it's been it's been a a few seconds since we it's been a while <laughs> it's I mean, been a while it's been a while since i said sorry i don't remember the lyrics it's been a while that's all anybody remembers yeah because it's been a while since i've heard that song (laughs) and it's been a while since we've recorded it has it has um but now we're back uh, from outer space i just walked in to find you here sitting in the booth and recording Mm mm-hmm yeah full circle so what did we watch today uh, we watched uh, Melody Time, and we watched uh, da, 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 The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which I have always abbreviated just to Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which I have super abbreviated to Icky Toad. Hey, me too! Yeah, it's it's great name! Yep, Icky Toad. It's good enough for the White Stripes, it's good enough for us. It certainly is that. The, the White Stripes have that song, Icky Thump. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were about to explain to me who the White Stripes are, and I'm like, I will punch you through the computer. <laughs> I am not going to mansplain to my most mu- my hold on my sec- tied for second most musical friend, uh, who the White Stripes are. Tied for second. Wow. Yeah. Um. It's you and Taylor. Uh, because, like, he also knows an awful lot about music, and he's mm-hmm. been involved in, like, music before. And, uh, it's both of you below Phil, who is in a band. Yeah, I am not in a band. I'm I'm in a sort of, like, choir band thing, because my sister Ooh. 
roped me into her music stuff, so I sing with them and leads and stuff, but not like a band band. Anyway, so, um, yes, Icky Toad and Melody Time, and they're both package features. They're the last two on our agenda, and then we can go back to our one movie, an episode. Thank Fine. the good sweet Finally. lord. I, f- I, I lost the plot, but... <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyways. I can I can elucidate. Would you like me to go into a, the plot outline? Oh, absolutely would love you to do the yeah. plot outline. That was that was supposed to be such a good setup and then I broke out my uh elucidate. I love it. <laughs> I could have said that in a way better way. No, elucidate's a great word. It's been a while since I've been in front of a microphone. It's been a while. Okay, okay. <laughs> Shush. Um, now, yeah, so plot outline. I did these in opposite order accidentally because for some reason in my mind it's always been Ichabod and Toad first and then Melody Time. I don't know why. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. I'm sure the listeners do not care. Um, but technically Melody Time did come out a year before Icky Toad. Um, that... Uh, Melody Time came out in May 1948, and then Icky Toad came out in October 1949. So, really? um, but I'm gonna do Ichabod and Toad first. Yes, please. So, for the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, um, I'd like to think of this double feature as "Rock on, you confident bastard!" Parts one and two. Nice. So, for Rock On, You Confident Bastard, Part 1, a.k.a. The Wind in the Willows, we head over to the countryside of Berkshire, England, where animal and man alike are pissed at Mr. J. Thaddeus Toad, local aristocrat and owner of his ancestral home, Toad Hall. Why are animal and man pissed off at Mr. J. Thaddeus Toad, you may ask? Well, simply because Toad suffers from an acute case of mania, where he becomes utterly obsessed with a new fad and puts everything else aside to pursue his latest obsession with no thought for anything else. Of course, that is, until the next new thing comes along and triggers his hyperfixation all over again. So basically, he's an ADHD. I was just going to say, so basically, he's an entire ADHD mood. Icon. Uh, Total ADHD, Chad. So, uh, <laughs> witnessing this ongoing spectacle are Toad's friends, Rat, Mole, and Badger. Rat and Mole, I never thought I'd say this about two characters from a 40s cartoon adaptation of a 9th century British children's story, but by God do I ship it, are two, <laughs> are two charming little bachelors, while Badger is an older bloke in firm possession of the worst Scottish accent I have ever heard. It's so bad. As dubious as I was about the Bongo animators having ever seen a bear before, I'm even less convinced this voice actor even knew what Scotland was, let alone that he had any (laughs) inkling of what a Scottish person sounds like. Anyway, despite the attempts by... I mean, it's it's a real festival of nations. He pulls out accents from pretty much every country and or continent on this earth. Um, and only accidentally stumbles into Scottish a few times. A hen hoose. Oh my gosh! At one point, That's I'm like, one is, time. I, I, at one point, I'm like, is he from Baghdad? Like, what? <laughs> Why? How is he doing this? It's almost impressive. Um, you know, Mech Badger, the famous Iranian family. Yeah. Um. 
So anyway, despite the attempts by his friends to get him to tone it down and chill the heck out before he bankrupts himself and brings Toad Hall to ruin, our Jay Fatty hops right on to his newest obsession, motor car mania. Thanks to some weaselly weasels and a greasy, grinning barkeep, Toad is arrested for stealing a motor car and is sentenced to prison, despite insisting that he completely legally traded the car for Toad Hall. Dubious financial decisions aside, Toad is broken out of prison by his friend Cyril, a cockney-accented horse who is a real peach and a delight, but I still haven't quite reconciled with his role as both Toad's friend and his means of transportation. I love him. I love him, too. He's, like, still, like, he's still not quite horse-shaped, but it's done in a way where he's the horsiest horse that I've ever seen. Right. Like, he, his personality makes him a horse. This is... This has been a real festival of these are real horses. Like, the, the nicest thing I can say about these two movies is that mm-hmm. Disney finally figured out how to do a horse. <laughs> the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, a.k.a. Yup, those are horses. <laughs> yes! Definitely horses. Um, so, yes. And he's awesome. And apparently he was voiced by this guy whose name I don't remember, who was a... He's from Lancashire and regarded as like one of the funniest guys in like the early 20th century he did a bunch of um a bunch of different stage musicals and a few voice acting credits but he was regarded as like a freaking awesome improv guy and really funny dude would you say they called him uh, a bit of a trotter and a bit of a rotter how do you do how do you do how do you do um (laughs) it's quite excellent i highly recommend watching this even if just for cyril I mean, this whole thing is is a delight, but especially Cyril. Um, Yes, so it's all good because Toad rallies his friends to take Hode Hode Tall? Hode Tall. Toad rallies his friends to take... the tallest Hode I've ever seen. Tally Hall. The good music artist. I miss Tally Hall. Yeah. Toad rallies his friends to take Toad Hall back from the assholes who framed him for the theft, and they live happily ever after. Until, of course, he comes down with airplane mania. Yep. Yay. He got a horse in an airplane. Yep. Um, <laughs> all right. So on to the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yeah. Snoozy. Yeah. Good uh, snoozy. We, sure. We open on a charming little Dutch settlement in the countryside of New York State, where Bing Crosby's silky voice informs us that legends and superstition run rampant through these isolated communities. One such legend starts now, with Mr. Ichabod Crane coming up over the hill. He's the new schoolmaster in town, and it is with the purest of joy that I will inform you that what commences is an entire song solely dedicated to telling us that Ichabod is weird-looking as hell, but to the women of the town, entirely irresistible. Mm. I mean, it's the perfect inverse of the opening song from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> so instead of, she's a beauty but a funny girl, we have, he's weird-looking but a sex machine. <laughs> He's the he's he's Rod Stewart, huh? I he's truly there's literally a line that says like he has this irresistible draw about him or something like that. It's oh, it's so funny, and it's consistent. Oh. Like ev- not even just like the you know homely looking girls of the town. It's everyone, even even Freddy's girls are after even the Freddy's girls are, are after, after Mr. Ichabod. Uh, the best part, though, is that Mr. Crane is after one thing and one thing only. Food. 
He's like mm. if Jughead had an agenda. So anyway, our knobby, awkward Mr. Crane charms his way through the whole town, much to the delight of the women and the chagrin of the men. One such man, local hunk Brom Bones, is pissed to suddenly find himself a rival to Ichabod for the affections of Katrina, the lovely daughter of the local rich dude. Now, to be fair, Brom seems to be the only one of the three who is truly in it for love. Yeah. Ichabod is out to inherit her father's fortune, whereas Katrina herself is only in it to watch the two of them fuss over her. Even from the beginning, it's clear that Ichabod is on the winning side of the fight for Katrina's affections. Seeing this, Brom decides to become the asshole we all assumed he'd be, and takes advantage of Ichabod's scaredy-cat nature by feeding him a ghost story about a headless Hessian squatting in the woods leading to town, waiting to terrorize anyone dumb enough to pass through after dark. As it turns out, Ichabod is one such dummy, and runs into the headless horseman on his way back to town that night. Scared shitless with a horse equally so, he's chased through the woods and finally disappears, never to be seen or lusted after again. <laughs> some rumors say he's shacked up with some rich widow eating to his heart's content, but all the locals agree that the horseman added another head to his collection. The hedagogue of a pedagogue. Oh, aren't you funny? Aren't I, though? Aren't you? I'm not, actually. You are. Oh, well, we'll see. You know. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're almost as funny as I am. Oh, thanks. And we're... I'm the, I'm the best. <laughs> we're both somewhat funny, which is why we have a podcast. Right, yeah. If, <laughs> if people are mildly amusing, they just do a podcast in 2021. Yeah. That is, that is the way. Mm. So, now we move on to melody time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you sound so eager. No, I'm, I'll keep my opinions to myself until, until it's opinion time. Yeah. Oh. Come on, let's get this was, over with. Was that what we were supposed to <laughs> we're supposed to keep our opinions to ourselves? Because <laughs> I, I did not do that. No, no. We're we're allowed to keep we're allowed to put our opinions wherever we want to. I I I, I could say that um, Melody Time deserves all the hatred on uh, Amazon reviews that Make Mine Music gets, but I I won't say that until much later. <laughs> okay. Well, I look forward to that when it does happen. Yeah. So, this film is yet another popular music version of Fantasia. It has seven segments, some more musical, while others are more narrative. There's Once Upon a Winter Time, Bumble Boogie, The Legend of Johnny Appleseed, Little Toot, Trees, Blame It on the Samba, and Pecos Bill. For time and sanity's sake, I'm really only going to outline the plots of Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill. The others, for the most part, are just fluff pieces though Little Toot has some of that early Disney fever dream flavoring we've come to know and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't feel bad if you have characters on your list that I don't cover, um, because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's just characters that stood out to you. Right, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... We, 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 we present what we present. That was a really... Ooh, nice. That was a horrible... I, I was like... I was trying because I felt it, and then for some reason it just didn't, I don't know, it was weird. It was honest, though. It was an honest and genuine one. Yeah. I could feel the heart in it. It felt weird. It felt like there was, like, a demon growling in my throat rather than an actual burp. Those are the best ones, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's revenge for a little toot. <laughs> so, so uh, let's start with Johnny Appleseed. 
part evangelical cartoon, part history lesson, part agricultural expose. This is the story of real American pioneer and actual cinnamon roll John Chapman, or as he's more (laughs) widely known, Johnny Appleseed. He walked all over the northeastern U.S. with a tin pot as a hat and no shoes on his feet, planting apple nurseries and preaching Christianity wherever he went. In the cartoon, a young Johnny watches all the settlers going out west and wishes he could go with them, but figures, since he's not a rootin' tootin' rifle shootin' tough guy, there'd be no place for him out yonder. At that moment, he's visited by his guardian angel, a grizzled fella garbed in the clothes of a pioneer and equipped with the twangy accent of a frontiersman. According to his angel, even a weak-ass nurseryman like John had an important role to play out west, so he needed to get going while the getting was good. So he did. Planted a bunch of apple trees, made some animal friends, told everyone within earshot about the big eternal party upstairs, then eventually joined <laughs> that party himself. The <laughs> end. Yay. <laughs> the whole That's the whole thing, that's really. The whole thing. I was like, oh, I'm going to go into more than like the apple parties and the... Nope. I, there's yeah. no He reason. doesn't really have adventures in the adventures of Johnny Appleseed. He has singular adventure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He doesn't really, yeah, because he's not like an adventuring sort. He's like a walk around and make friends with people sort. Yeah. yeah. It's like that, Um, what was that? Somebody did a playthrough of uh, World of Warcraft where they, they did it just on a walking tour and not like fighting anybody. Oh, that was, uh, I think Griffin McElroy did that. Yeah, he did. That Griffin. was so funny. It was. That's just the legend of Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> yeah. But planting trees. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah. So that's that was Johnny Appleseed, and then we'll go on to Pecos Bill. <sighs> I, I hated this one. <laughs> Honestly, I really hated this one. Uh, really? So this was supposedly based on a real folk hero, but we'll get into that. Oh. In the meantime, this is a troubling short about a mad feral dude down in Texas shooting everything in sight and terraforming the southern United States and Mexico, along with his homicidal horse, Widowmaker. Literally mad feral. Li- like Just freaking mad feral. I'm like, are we supposed to be rooting for this guy? Like, <laughs> is this supposed to be the good guy? Um... I'm not against him, but like he he was in fact yeah. raised by coyotes. Yeah. Well, and I hated. But I'll get into that. And I hated the the kind of single story nature of him making the Rio Grande and like the you know terraforming all of these places in southern U.S. and in Mexico. Like mm-hmm. it, it was so insulting to like the idea of a creation myth. And it's like it was a cowboy that did it. It wasn't any you know actual yeah. real legends it was a fake cowboy anyway um <laughs> well you know that's uh that's the that's the story of the yeah. american perception of the cowboy you yeah. just take what other thing people have do and say yeah white guy did it you know it's actually a perfect uh if you think about it that way it's a perfect microcosm of of that sort of phenomenon like that's it's a perfect example is like the pecos bill story um yeah. Yeah, and Widowmaker, his horse, who literally is named Widowmaker because he has trampled so many men to death with his hooves. They say that. They say that to freaking child actress Luana Patton, and she goes, oh, that's so silly. 
<laughs> like, that's amazing. Damn. Okay, Luana. Cool. And I like how they tell that uh, in like the story. Mm-hmm. They say, "Oh, we trampled many men," but and then it turns out, no, he's just been Bill's horse since they were children. Yeah. He's never trampled anyone to death. Yeah. But he tr- he got his name from trampling so many men to death. Mm-hmm. But they've been friends since they were children. Yeah. But don't think about it too much. I was gonna say it might have just happened off screen. We don't know. Yeah, don't worry about it. And then it's in the meantime. Um, so one day Bill falls in love with Slewfoot Sue, who's one of Freddy's girls if I've ever seen one. And mm-hmm. despite his horse's abject murderous intent towards her, Bill asks her to marry him. <laughs> she accepts, but only if he'll give her a big fancy bustle like the ladies wear in the city. Her other condition is that she gets to ride his horse. The big day comes and she hops on the horse, but the bustle is apparently spring-loaded because she bounces right off the horse and keeps bouncing until presumably passing through the ozone layer and into outer space. As someone who would do anything to remain as far away from Pecos Bill as possible, I can honestly say I'm more than a little jealous of her fate. (laughs) And that's all I have for Pecos Bill. (laughs) That's all I could force myself to write about Pecos Bill. That's the most you could care about him. Yeah, and that's the most I could care about either of these two movies. Um, mm. But now that I've covered that, what do you have to tell me about the characters? Oh, the characters. I can tell you. I I really... Um, I normally try to restrict myself to 15. Mm-hmm. I went one over, mm-hmm. and... But a lot of these are, like, really short. So I'm just going to tell you about my 16 uh, absolute favorite characters. I thought you were going to say my, my 16 absolute chads. <laughs> oh, there's some, there are some flops in this. There are some non-chads. Cool, cool. Um, I did it backwards uh, from you. I did Melody Time first. Mm. So the first one I'll tell you about is the Terrifying Mask. <laughs> Uh, he's the, uh, introduction to Melody Time. Uh, he's not in it very much. You know? Yeah, just enough to see his nightmare visage. Mm -hmm. Uh, not unlike Dracula, he brings with him three equally horrifying brides. Mm -hmm. That's all I got for him. Yeah, I actually completely forgot that that was even a thing. Oh no, he'll haunt my nightmares. Mm. Like, his face will haunt my nightmares. Mm. I think it's, he looked like a theater mask, which is why... Yeah, he looked like both theater masks at the same time. Yeah. And then they gave him three wife masks. And I'm like, why? (laughs) What is the purpose of that? Uh, He's polygamask. Oh, aren't you you funny? Uh, We move on from there to... um, (laughs) There goes my last brain cell. One of my favorite... Your last brain cell pooped that one out. (laughs) And I loved it. I hope it gives you enough serotonin to produce more. It doesn't, but hopefully we'll just move on and see what happens. We'll move on to the button-nosed doofus. Uh, one of a pair of wintertime lovers whose main character trait is that he lacks the common courtesy to not laugh at his date for not knowing how to skate, despite him being very talented. <laughs> Isn't that just what you love in a guy? Mm-hmm. Someone who mocks you for not knowing how to do what he's pretty much an expert at. Yeah, that's why I didn't cover yeah. most of the stories in metal- Melody Time, because I'm like, I don't like these characters, and I don't like these shorts. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and from from there, we move on to the Bumblebee. Uh, 
an innocent pawn in this absolute nightmare of a sequence where everything tries to murder at him, at first for no reason, and then in retaliation to him fighting back against everything trying to murder him. So, you know, he, he lives in probably the worst uh, Disney peyote experience possible. <laughs> he's He's... Like, he's in the Peyote Vision Quest, but he's, like, actually lucid and sober. Yeah. So he's fighting for his life rather than going with it. I think, isn't it to the Bumblebee? It's like to it a, is uh, through a, to a jazz like, version of Flight of the Bumblebee, which yeah. I, like, I love Flight of the Bumblebee, and I like jazz. I did not care for that song, that arrangement. I didn't either. It just made me really anxious. Yeah, like, and then it, it doesn't help when you're just watching this adorable little one-off character getting murdered. Yep. Oh well. Uh, so let's move on to someone we can both agree that we like a little bit more. Uh, John Chapman, aka Johnny Appleseed. Yay! There's a statue of Johnny Appleseed in the library where I work, and that statue oh. makes him look kind of handsome in a scrawny, <laughs> quirky, Caucasian actor kind of way. Uh. The kind of handsome where you have to ask, is he handsome or is he just skinny with a beard? And the answer never becomes clear. Nope. <laughs> uh, this Johnny Appleseed does not have that problem. He's the least sexy John Chapman humanly possible. <laughs> Prone to hallucinations of religious figures in squirrel skin hats, this little dude, obsessed with apples and doing good things and the work of the Lord, goes out into the wilderness and becomes the second Disney princess to have sweet woodland friends follow him around. <laughs> Disney princess in my notes, but I'm like, if it ha- if it's gonna happen, Nate's gonna be the one to say it. <laughs> I'm gonna be the one to say it. I'm gonna be the one to notice he's the second Disney princess talking to animals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those animals is Chip the Chipmunk. Uh, it's the same. It's just the same design as Chip from Chip and Dale. <laughs> Apparently, he decided to do some solo work without his pal Dale and. Yeah, I am going on the record to say there is only one Disney chipmunk with a black nose who cackles like a deranged falsetto. Mm-hmm. Th- that's like half character description and half crackpot theory. Yeah, no. I mean, he likes to eat and laugh at others' misfortunes. Toe to tip, that's a chip. That is a chip. Mm-hmm. Little toot. <laughs> I was going to talk about little toot, but first I have to ask the question. On the front of Big Toot, his dad, is that a beard or is that chest hair? I thought it was like a coat. That could be possible, because I was just spending the whole time staring at him, wondering why a boat would have a beard or chest hair. Yeah. I don't think they have, like, organic material. (laughs) They can't grow organic material. They have, like, equivalences, like they have eyebrows. Yeah, I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. Freaking little toot. Anyways, little toot is a hyperactive, immature, disappointing son. Relatable. <laughs> you ever wonder what if Pedro the airplane was as horrifying <laughs> as it was obnoxious? Well, yeah. here's that. He screws up so badly that he must be banished from civilization and into the wilderness as his father is disgraced to the level of a garbage scow. But hey, don't worry about it because, you know, he saves the day rescuing a wrecked ocean liner. Don't don't worry about it. All is forgiven. Pay no attention to the vaguely threatening world of living inanimate objects that one would be horrified to find themselves in. <laughs> Little Toot saves the day. And then he's like, yeah, he's banished out to sea. And then there's just this like minute and a half of I don't even remember what they said, but the the lyrics were horrifying. I think I've blocked it out. That's why I can't remember of just like 
psychological abuse of this right? little it's, child tugboat. It's so weird to have to block out something by the Andrews sisters. I know. Man, it's that should have been like a Halloween special or something because it was genuinely terrifying. Unsettling. It was unsettling. Yeah. But we move on to that to what should have been uh, one of our favorite things. Uh, Donald Duck and Jose Carioca. Mm. That's right. Our favorite pair of amorous avians are back, but they're all grumpy and depressed. Maybe because they've been rejected by Yaya again. Or maybe because they've lost their new best friend who gave them such nice matching hats. Or maybe because they don't get any lines in this goddamn picture. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, they run into their other new best friend, the Araquan bird, for some reason, who cheers them up by mixing them a drink. Literally, he, he mixes them into a drink. Uh, Roy Rogers was another character in this. Uh, delivered, as promised, your rootin' tootin' king of cowboys. America's best cowboys, and I'm gonna stand by that. John Wayne was a fascist, and Clint Eastwood is the Toshiro Mifune you get at the dollar store. <laughs> Adam Page is coming up as a close second, nipping at his heels. <coughs> Stop. <laughs> While hanging out with Luanna Patton and Bobby Driscoll, he also exists to create the frame story. You see that, Abby? Yeah! I learned from what you taught me. You did it. You took my thing, and you turned it into your thing. I'm proud. I did it! I, 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 well, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound like I'm paying homage to you. Yeah. I'm wearing a, I'm, I feel proud and warm. Like I have a, a beard, chest hair coat. Good. <laughs> my chest, <laughs> around my heart. <laughs> I'm so glad about your hairy bearded chest that warms you with joy. Yes, you should be. Uh, he, anyway. <laughs> anyway, he Roy Rogers. The, Roy Rogers. He creates the frame story in which we get the story of Pecos Bill. Uh, Pecos Bill. Raised and nursed by coyotes. I shit you not, nursed by coyotes. <laughs> we see this happen. The boy was raised on coyote milk. <laughs> I, I laugh, but I'm not, I'm not laughing out of... I, I'm laughing because I can't believe that we get a Disney short where a, where a young boy drinks coyote milk straight from the, the chuck wagon, as it's, they say. It's like, it's a panicked laugh. It's... it's Panic yeah, laughter. It's, it's a nervous laugh. It's a, it's a, <laughs> you're so funny as you make quips before murdering me laugh. Yes, exactly. Uh, makes friends with a horse, does legendary cowboy shit, and maybe just a tiny little bit of massive racism. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't be early Disney if we didn't have a little bit of massive racism. <laughs> wouldn't have, wouldn't have been. Hit and... You know, of course, his life as a legendary cowboy who smokes, censored by Disney, and <laughs> shoots guns, totally uncensored by Disney, is interrupted when he meets Slewfoot Sue, a woman who, I shit you not, is introduced rodeo riding a giant catfish and it's never addressed. <laughs> I'm thinking that maybe in the original legend it makes sense, maybe it's explained in some way, but not here, so she's just casually rodeo riding a giant catfish. She's... And of course, I'm instantly in love with her because she's just casually rodeo riding a giant catfish. Yeah, she's she's like, you know what? <laughs> Screw noodling. I'm not even going to go noodling. I'm just going to like start rodeo riding this giant catfish. Right. Yeah, we see this happen once. No explanation has no bearing on the rest of the story. And I'm in love. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, she also I guess it's to show like how good of a rodeo rider she is, because if you can like ride on 
like a fish that's like the slipperiest most annoying i mean fishes are especially catfish are like pretty much all muscle so it's like it's it shows that she's really 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 good at what she does that's right legendary cowgirl shit mm-hmm. yeah murdered by a horse yeah yeah I, she she is literally like oh, one thing that abby you didn't mention was like pecos bill goes to save her with his lasso and Widowmaker is the one who stomps on the lasso and prevents him from saving her. Yeah. So she is literally functionally murdered by a horse. Yeah. I wrote. I actually wrote it up without like going back and looking over the plot because <laughs> I. Yeah. That's how little I cared about this stupid short. But yeah. Yeah. Honest, honestly, and though, it's... good for her. Good for her. <laughs> and can I just say, like, blue shadows on the trail. Great little segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the, when they're singing the song and you see all the uh, the the nightlife desert animals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sleepy, but it's so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and trees, you know. Again, that's sleepy, but it's so cute. I'm in love with the trees. Short. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no characters in that, so I couldn't talk about it. Yeah, it's just a tree and a poem about a tree. <laughs> what I can talk about is J. Thaddeus Toad. Yay. Esquire. Esquire. Mm-hmm. First of all, I got to state that this world is the polar opposite of the Little Toot world. Uh, that is, as I said, a vaguely threatening world of living inanimate objects <laughs> that one would be horrified to find themselves in. Mm-hmm. But this is a vaguely whimsical world of sentient and civilized animals that I would be delighted to find myself in. Yeah. And... This dude is the richest sentient and civilized animal who everyone loves because he makes all the other sentient and civilized animals look good by comparison. Anyways, he's an absolute maniac for fads, at the cost of his life and livelihood even, relatable. Yeah. Uh, I kind of did a three for one here. Uh, Rat, Mole, and McBadger. Uh, I was going to do the same thing. Whenever I was going to be doing the characters, I wound up doing yeah. the same thing. That's funny. They're a package deal. I, the the three of them are the only folks with any common sense in this world. Three of the four best friends Toad has. They prove this by doing his taxes and locking him in his room to prevent him from upsetting the homeowners association any further. <laughs> also, they're Christians for some reason. Uh, you know. I wonder. I wonder if their Jesus was like a hamster or something. Are they Christians? They celebrate Christmas. Uh, you can celebrate Christmas and not be Christian. I mean, that's only in America. No. Or maybe in England. As somebody yeah. who... As somebody, oh, who, okay, who, as somebody who has become as obsessed with anime as I have, trust me, plenty of other countries besides America have non-Christians celebrating Christmas. That's fair. That's fair. I completely forgot about the Japanese Christmas obsession with KFC, which is so weird, right? I... Yeah, I haven't. They, that wasn't the context that I was going to. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, hmm. cross that bridge when we find yeah. it. But anyway, uh, yeah, they could be vaguely yeah. Christian or just kind of. I don't know. Yeah, they can be Christian. They can be, you know, Catholic. They can be a Calvinist. They can be Baptist. Whatever they, they celebrate are. Christmas uh, and they're. And they're three of the four best friends of Toad. Yep. You know who the fourth is? Uh, Cyril Proudbottom. Cyril Proudbottom. I can't get enough of this dude. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> First of all, 
He's a horse. He's <laughs> just a horse, but he also talks. Mm-hmm. Like this dude, he baffles me. Okay, all the all the animals wear clothes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when he's in court, in a court of law, mm-hmm. he wears a he wears a suit, a great suit that I love today. But any other time, when, he, when he's pulling the cart, he's only wearing a hat. Is he nude? Is he just nude, butt tearing through naked. the country? But ass naked, yes, yes, sir. He, he's nude when he's just walking down the street. What are the rules in this world? Hey, that's that's why he said he's a bit of a totter, a bit of a rotter. Literally, that's the last line I have written ha, here. Ha. Have, anyways, he's a bit of a trotter and a bit of a rotter. Ha, ha. You, same hat. Same hat. It's Cyril's hat. <laughs> it's Cyril's beautiful little hat. Yeah. Uh. After him, we see the weasels, uh, and these are worth pointing out because this is, I'm pretty sure, their first appearance in the Disney canon, and we'll see them in shorts uh, in animal-related movies from time to time as the goons and thugs and mooks and whatnot. In this installment, they report to a deceitful, nasty, villainous little man with a hairstyle identical to his mustache. (laughs) Those weasels are his goons and thugs and mooks and whatnot, local bar owner and car thief, his name is, and I shit you not, Mr. Winky. Mr. Winky. And he what only winks. For a villain. He only winks like once or twice in the whole thing. Maybe. Yeah. He doesn't wink a lot. Mm-hmm. Why why Winky? I guess mm-hmm. that's because his name, but you know. Yeah. Oh, I was I was thinking about that actually, because like I have been rewatching Psych because it's my comfort series. And mm-hmm. I um there was one episode where they have to they are going after the same person as a bounty hunter is going after. And the bounty hunter, I guess, like, winks. There's a gag where the bounty hunter will be looking over at somebody and will wink at them, and they'll think it's a wink, but then when they ask, did you just wink at me? The guy's like, no, 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 I just, I have, like, a, it's an involuntary tick. (laughs) And so I feel like they should have done that same gag with Winky, where he'll wink at them, and they'll think, oh, it's like a conspiracy but no it's just this like involuntary tick Mm -hmm. but no he just just does it yeah so now i can finally move on to the two characters that i have for uh the legend of sleepy hollow um because like as 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 great as sleepy hollow is Mm -hmm. it doesn't really have a lot of characters in it does it no not really no just the two most important ones uh ichabod crane uh, a dude who is built in such a way that he'd be found equally attractive by Timothy Chalmay fans, <laughs> old school Wunsler fanatics, and British grandparents. Will... <sighs> you know what? Just <laughs> am I am I going to be am I going to be desicked by his Twitter stands? See, I'm not. I'm not innocent in all of this either because I openly said that. I openly said the words I ship it about an animated water rat and mole. Right. <laughs> so, you know, let he who is without mm. sin. Cast the first uh, comparison to popular uh, handsome boy. Yep. But they couldn't, so, they couldn't fit all of that in the Bible. So they just said <laughs> the first stone just left it at that. Uh, this this dude is our protagonist, uh, even though he shows favor to whoever he can leech off of and is only interested in the local Freddy's girl, Katrina Van Tassel, for her money. But Nate, you may ask, if someone this odd-looking and easily described as a nasty boy is our hero, 
Who, pray tell, is our villain? Abram Bones, perhaps? Bones. First and foremost, this dude is built like a Casey, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. He's built he's, he's built jerk. like a slender Casey. He's built like a he's he's the missing link between Casey and Gaston. Yeah, he's the he's the tactical refined Casey. <laughs> tactical. Yeah. Uh he's he's a jerk and everybody loves him, literally. I don't know why every description of this movie makes him out to be the villain, but literally, right in the movie, they say he's a good-natured guy that everybody loves. Quite the hero of all the country round. Mm -hmm. At worst, he's a good-natured prankster who's only guilty of being so good that he has no competition and telling a a spook story to his uh, rival in love, who doesn't even love her. Mm -hmm. True. So, this is our villain, ladies and gentlemen. The the one who actually is in it for, like, pure intentions <laughs> he's the he's the anti-gaston yeah yeah it's like it's like how ichabod crane's like the anti-bell <laughs> yeah <laughs> and tom bones is the anti-gaston oh my god Amer- american version and french version of the same characters mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful <sighs> wait does that mean we have to ship that don't think about oh. it too much don't think about it too much don't think oh. about it too much uh, that, so that's everything I have for characters. <laughs> uh oh! All right. <laughs> so that's everything I've got for you know characters and stuff. Uh, but I think it's time I throw it. I I got the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing it back mm-hmm. in your court. All right. And I'm very excited to hear about the uh, legendary epic history of the source material. Yeah. So first we'll do Icky Toad. Um, now this, as we said before, is two stories. The first is based. On the Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, and the second is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Um, so, The Wind in the Willows it is a children's book by Scottish writer Kenneth Graham, with four stories centered around toad, mole, rat, and badger. And let me just tell you, Graham is honestly a whole entire mood. He was the secretary for the Bank of England, but then in 1908, he suddenly said, Hey, you know what? Screw this. Retired and promptly f***ed off to Berkshire to boat around and chill in the country and write children's stories. Uh, Yeah. I didn't expect him to be a a, a lifestyle inspiration. Yeah. No, he is in in a whole entire mood. And he basically, like, the wiki article about him said he basically lived the life of the characters that he wrote about. He just kind of, like, fussed around in boats. (laughs) And you know, chilled out by the country. Amazing. Yes. Jealous. Um, And from what I can tell, the original story he wrote doesn't differ any significant amount from the Disney adaptation. Hmm. Uh, Now, Sleepy Hollow was one of the many odds and ends in Washington Irving's collection of works he called The Sketchbook. Published around 1820, he published it serially, so there were a few stories that he... um, you know, he kind of published it in different magazines and stuff. Um, but he published it under the pseudonym Jeffrey Crayon. And this is the first time he's ever used this pseudonym, but it's one that he uses in a lot of his other works. Now, Irving had... Okay, a, the birth of the crayon. Yep, the birth of the crayon. Now, Irving had a passion for the folktale and for writing the cultural landscape of the countries he frequented. And it was because of that that the sketchbook became a popular influence on how American writers were perceived. Namely, that the perception of American writers, you know, 
grew and people respected American writers a lot more. Um, Sleepy Hollow is seen as one of the earliest pieces of American fiction that's still popular today, as well as its companion story, Rip Van Winkle, also authored by Irving. Did, wait, did they both take place in Sleepy Hollow? No, but I think Irving, it, they're often lumped together. I don't think he meant for oh. them to really be the same like universe, but they, they're seen as companion pieces because they have that similar kind of old town legend tone. You telling me that Washington Irving wasn't planning on building the Irving Cinematic Universe? The 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 ICU. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, that, that's gonna put me in the ICU. Yeah, I know. I, know, I, know. Um, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. All right. So Sleepy Hollow is set in 1790 in the New York countryside. The Headless Horseman is said to be inspired by one of the folk tales collected by Johann Musaus, a German guy who was famous for collecting folklore and retelling them as satire, which, by the way, was totally up Washington Irving's alley. Dude loved him some satire. But yeah, Musaus basically did what the Grimm brothers did, but he did it like 30 years or so before they did. Oh. Yeah. Um, and... Now, Irving based Ichabod Crane on his friend Jesse Merwin, a schoolteacher from Kinderhook, New York. The name Ichabod Crane was stolen directly from an army captain Irving happened to meet, which honestly is a very relatable writer thing to do. I know. <laughs> I often steal oh, yeah. people's names. <laughs> that's, that's what's great about working in a library, you know? Yeah. Like, you're, you're going through the list of, like, you know, cards. It's still on cards, by the way. It's wow. still on a card catalog when you sign up. But yeah, you go through the list and you're like, oh, these are some great names. Yeah. Uh, name I can't say out loud. <laughs> name I can't say out loud. Oh, I really love name I can't say out loud. Yeah. I do that with dead people. I like going to cemeteries and looking at interesting people's names. Yeah. Cemeteries have some great names. Mm -hmm. Like people have had some really good names mm -hmm. and they just like were like an accountant or something. Yeah. And for the most part, they don't mind that you use them. Yeah. Case in point, uh, Wolf Blitzer. Mm. is a real person's name who does like one of the most boring shows on TV. That sounds like that sounds like a dude who has like a ghost hunting business. <laughs> it doesn't it? Or like uh custom makes does like custom mods on dirt bikes. <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's Blitzer. it's it's a name that is unfortunately wasted on a guy who literally he he does a show called The Situation Room, mm. which sounds great. And it's like political commentary done in this voice. Oh, yeah. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Welcome to the Situation Room. That's the only way that he can be taken seriously as a person. That's the only occupation besides maybe like, you know, like accountant or something that yeah. they could hear the name. It's a good name for an attorney at law. Wolf Blitzer, attorney at law. Yeah. Um, sounds like a character in like Ace Attorney or something. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, in Irving's story, the aftermath of Ichabod's night in the woods is told to us through the townspeople gossiping about it afterwards. All we hear is that Ichabod's saddle is found, as well as a smashed pumpkin. So one popular interpretation of the ending is that there never was a headless horseman, and that it was Brom this whole time. Following that idea, he either spooked Ichabod so much that he left town, or he simply killed him and got rid of the body. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it's left kind of open-ended at the end, but, like, the the horseman's built, in the in the short, at the least, the horseman's built, built like a Casey, mm-hmm. he's on a black horse, and the only other character we see with a black horse is Brom Bones. And the only other character we see who is, like, a very agile horseman is Brom Bones. Is Brom Bones! Ha-ha! So a lot of people, oh. yeah, interpret it as Brom was the headless horseman. Yeah, and because it's Disney, he probably just scared him out of town. Probably. Well, well the original wasn't Disney. It was freaking oh, Washington Irving, and Irving had no trouble <laughs> killing off his characters. Oh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, I mean, in the short, you mm-hmm. know, like, he probably scared him out of town. But, like, in Washington Irving's story, it's entirely possible that he's growing the Van Tassel wheat. Mm. Yes. Yes, indeed. He, he just maybe he's a... Uh, he's, Underneath the pumpkin patch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's actually funny because in the sketchbook, so the sketchbook, you know, is told through the persona. It's not even just like a pen name. It's also a persona that he puts on because um, he speaks like as Joffrey Crayon in his travels. And so the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle, the reason why people like lump those two together usually is because mm-hmm. they are told by another of his personas, this um, fictional German historian. He makes up this like fake German historian to tell these stories that are Ooh. apparently part of like public record or like public legend. You know, the more I hear about this guy, the more I'm convinced that Stephen King took direct inspiration uh, from Washington Irving for a lot of his uh, short stories. Very probably. <laughs> oh yeah. Very probably. Um, but then again, I mean, Irving's so influential as a, as a writer that a lot of people could be influenced by oh, that. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And a lot of Sleepy Hollow is rooted in half truths and regional history, really writing the local identity into the narrative. A lot of Irving's writing in general is that way, actually, especially in the sketchbook. And that's why he's he was and is so well loved as a figure of American literature. I do like that. He's very much like a or he was very much like a Mark Twain type, but um just different a different locale. And um, was he uh as handsome as Mark Twain? <laughs> he was even handsomer. <laughs> he was more of a soft a soft man though. Yeah. Soft boy. You showed me his picture once and I'm like, yeah, he's in a boy band. <laughs> yeah. And then whenever he got older, he got a little bit less handsome, but more kind of charming and quaint. Ooh, mm-hmm. I do like charming. Mm-hmm. Um, now, melody time. Yes. Um, so I only did Pecos Bill and The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. I only did research on those two because I was at my wits end. <laughs> like what's what's the what's the source material for like uh winter the winter sleigh ride? There ain't what, none. Exactly. What could possibly be dug up for the bumble boogie? Yeah. Uh maybe, you know, like a little expose on the uh trees uh poet. I actually but, you know. had copy i copied and pasted the actual poem and i was gonna read it mm-hmm. on this episode but then i was like no one cares Is it public domain? it's public domain but i'm like i don't i don't even want to because it's just like it's what's the use of it 
nothing is the use of it. I just want to get I'd through like this. I'd like to hear it sometime. Okay. Well, it's it's super duper duper short, and there's not really much to it. Um, and I'm actually not even really sure why they chose to do that. I mean, like, I'm oh. I'm glad for the author, but yeah. I can tell you right now why they chose to do that. Why? Uh, and it's not even like a like a we'll get to that thing. Like it's so cheap. Like mm. it's a it's a poem about trees. So all they have to do is like have their background artists do some really nice backgrounds that they can sweep over and then put a little bit of animation to. Mm. It was it was so very money. Sa- this is so economical and it's money saving to do trees as a short. Okay, let's do melody time. Let's do melody time. Okay, so let's start with The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. So this is based on John Chapman, an 18th century American pioneer who was famous for his conservation efforts, kindness, and, of course, planting a metric butt-ton of apple trees all around the eastern United <laughs> States. Um, done. <laughs> done, done. Um, this is an anecdote that I, I pulled from Wikipedia because I just thought this was very funny and adorable and i think that you are going to think it's adorable too so according to harper's new monthly magazine which i think was a magazine that ran at the time toward the end of his career john was present when a missionary was preaching to an open-air congregation in mansfield ohio the sermon was long and severe on the topic of extravagance because the pioneers were buying things like calico and imported tea so this preacher kept repeating the question where now is there a man who, like the primitive Christians, is traveling to heaven barefooted and clad in coarse raiment? And he went on asking and asking and kept repeating this until finally Johnny Appleseed, his patience worn thin, he finally <laughs> walked up to the preacher, put his bare foot up on the stump that had served as a podium, and announced, Here is your primitive Christian. And at that, the flustered missionary dismissed the congregation. <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was adorable so i'm here yeah you asked for me and i'm telling you to shut yeah, up Yeah, he has no time for all this fire and brimstone uh <laughs> Good. now john was apparently also uh pretty tight with the native american tribes and nations he encountered and he held a lot of admiration for them and they admired him too apparently regarding him as someone with spiritual power and he passed through their lands without fuss Honestly, all in all, he seems like the Bob Ross of the American frontier, complete with animal friends and happy trees. I'm really glad to hear that because, like, one of the things I noticed was, like, you know, you, you remember the the cheeky little bit of massive racism that they did in, um, uh, what's... Pecos Bill? Pecos Bill, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, the one of the things that I noticed, uh, was, um, how, like, when they depicted the Native Americans in... Johnny Appleseed, they depicted him as just like, just people alongside of people. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was kind of impressed. That was like impressive for Disney. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go out of my way and say like, oh, this is a fantastic depiction. But like, we're talking about Disney here. For Disney, Mm -hmm. they did a pretty good job. And I think it's, it's more interesting to see how two different depictions within the same um within the same package film can be so wholly different 
Yeah. You know, like because like, you have like different teams working on different things. So you get different interpretations sometimes even of the same thing. And it's very jarring to think. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's also like important to realize, like, you know, some people weren't as bad as others, maybe. Or it, it could also, you know, from a cynical standpoint, it could be that, you know, they included those depictions to serve two different purposes. You know, it's like, oh, we're all friends and we're all happy because that's the tone that they're trying to set. And then later on, it's like, Pecos Bill is the greatest and most powerful and da 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 da. And so then. (laughs) Look at these painted savages. (laughs) But look at how we're all good friends and we're all (laughs) able to sit at the same table. Yeah, that's not quite the case. Um, So anyway. Pretty um, good. Now with. So one last thing with Johnny Appleseed, Mm -hmm. which is the best part. Uh, since he planted wild apples and he was against discrimination over apple varieties, the fruit his trees produced were generally unfit for eating. Their primary, oh. their primary use, then, was actually the production of cider. So, really, the reason why he was so warmly welcomed into these communities uh, was because the gift that he was bringing wasn't the gift of apples, but actually the gift of booze. Oh my god. He was granting them the gift of alcohol. And as as author as author Michael Pollan says, Johnny Appleseed was America's Dionysus. I love this so much more know, now. Right? Oh what Isn't that funny? That's that's perfect. Yeah. That's this is perfect. Yeah. This this is a perfect man. It's incredible. A perfect man. Yes. John Chapman, we, we, the perfect man. We peaked with Johnny Appleseed. Mm, um, it's all downhill from there. Speaking of all downhill from there, let's go into Pecos Bill. Ha! <laughs> uh, now, I will say, you know, credit where credit is due, I will thank him because in researching him, I discovered my new favorite term. F- <laughs> fake lore. Fake lore. Fake lore is the term used to describe manufactured, inauthentic folklore that's presented like it's genuine. Oh. Pecos Bill and Paul Bunyan are the two most popular examples of fake lore. The latter because the bulk of Paul Bunyan's stories are not even close to the tone or context of the original figure. Um, Another example is, in my estimation... Our favorite old papagayo. It's it just doesn't exist. It's probably an indirect example of fake lore, made to seem like an authentic and primitive article when, in fact, it's just manufactured authenticity. Um. Ah. Yes. So now that brings us to Pecos Bill. Bill was created in the early 1900s as a bunch of short stories by Tex O'Reilly, who was. Wow. And I shit you not to use your term. He He was an American mercenary said to have fought in at least 10 different wars during his lifetime, including fighting alongside Pancho Villa in Mexico. Um, He joined with the Spanish Foreign Legion for the Rift War in North Africa and serving as an international policeman in Shanghai before coming back to the States and becoming a writer for the Associated Press. Now, my question is, why would he even make Pecos Bill in the first place? I mean, it just, it seems to me like he's already a tall tale himself with just his life. Yeah, why wouldn't he just write about himself? Yeah, Tex O'Reilly is, as a real person, 
more of a legendary figure than Pecos Bill. So, uh, Pecos Bill is fake lore, which means despite Tex O'Reilly claiming him to be a figure in stories told around cowboy campfires on the frontier, he actually didn't exist as a legendary hero until 1917. Um, There was, however, a Civil War officer named William Shafter, who was nicknamed Pecos Bill. But besides the name and general, you know, brave exploits, it doesn't seem like he served as much inspiration for the stories. So, so he's like an Ichabod Crane. I'm just going to take this name and do something with it. Sure. Tenuous. Tenuous. But um, yeah, so that's why I was saying like, oh, I'll talk about that later because Pecos Bill, you know, is is good. Yeah. Not just a. A an insulting folklore figure. He's an insulting fake lore figure because he didn't even exist. Um, but that doesn't stop people from thinking that he's real. Oh, and apparently yeah. there was somebody. There was a a chick who wrote a book about um <laughs> what happens after Slewfoot Sue like bounces up and you know out of the world. She goes to the moon. She writes that uh Slewfoot Sue lands somewhere in Russia and then I think she meets the Baba Yaga. Oh. And it's like a story about that. I don't know if she actually fights the Baba Yaga or if it's just like she goes there and makes a new life for herself, but um Slufutsu and the Baba Yaga mm-hmm. sit down, have some tea, talk about boys, <laughs> talk about how you don't need them. And then Slufutsu becomes a new Baba Yaga. It reminds me, like, Slufutsu and the Baba Yaga is like the female version of um, Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. <laughs> oh, no, no. These two. Don't you deep cut that. Yeah. And that's, don't you cut and that that's a reference that no one will understand. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure we got some RLM fans in here. We'll see. We'll see. That's it for source material for me. Um. What do you have for background info? Uh, production. production. Production, production, production. So when it comes to production, uh, the most interesting stuff lies actually in the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Uh, the original name of the film was Two Fabulous Characters, which I'm convinced is a better name. Yeah. And each segment was supposed to be their own feature-length film Uh, The concepts were fully formed, rights purchased, segments storyboarded, the works. But like with Bongo and The Legend of Happy Valley, a.k.a. Mickey and the Beanstalk, they failed to find their footing in development, typically because Walt didn't like the direction and wanted to rework it. And so they were each indefinitely shelved until they were dusted off out of cost-cutting necessity. Also, the reason McBadger's Scottish accent is so awful is because the actor they got to do it was not an actor, not even at all, not even close. Oh. Uh, It was an animator from the studio, just some guy they had kicking around who worked uncredited on shorts and credited on a few films, uh, a standard cost-cutting measure of theirs to just grab somebody from some department and say, hey, can you do this voice? And even in the best of situations, many voice actors cannot do a Scottish accent. Yeah, it's not it's not an easy accent to do because like it sounds like it should be easy to do and it's very easy to do like 
an impression of a Scottish accent, but it's not easy to do a Scottish accent. Yeah, I think it's um, it's kind of this this viral joke at this point that yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's viral humor that um, people can't do Scottish accents. Scottish, but accent. that doesn't stop him from True trying. Scots is, <laughs> True Scots is tough, but you know, fake yeah. Scots is. Fake Scots is everywhere. No, no true Scotsman would do a bad. There's, there's a, there's a fallacy I, called. I got the no true Scotsman. Mm. Aren't you? Aren't you literary? Mm. It's lit. Okay. Here. So, the most interesting thing I can tell you about Melody Time, uh, is that it was originally intended to be a package feature specifically about American legends. Uh, Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill being the only survivors of that initial incarnation. Also, also, there was, in fact, some censorship done to Pecos Bill for a short period of time, uh, but all things cut were eventually reinstated. I'm talking, of course, about his smoking. In some of his first uh, home releases, the cigarettes were totally eliminated, including the entire sequence where he ropes a cyclone and rolls a smoke. That's what they got rid of. Not the gunplay, which still censors the Martins and Coys to this day, and not the goofy, wacky, zany, painted desert racism bit. Nah, we're going to go after the smoking. I mean, I think it was not released the, in the 90s not that the way. So. Coyote nipples. Not the coyote breast milk scene, no. <laughs> yeah, thank you for reminding me that they, they totally uncensored being nursed by a coyote. I love the. It's hard to quantify how much humor I feel upon hearing the coyote breast milk scene. I don't know why, but the words, <laughs> the coyote breast milk scene, just make it's, me it's a laugh beautiful, so hard. It's a beautiful word salad where <laughs> you don't, nothing seems like it should go together. Like, you know, when you make macaroni salad yeah. and it's like, nothing seems like it should go together. Okay. We've got macaroni, we've got carrots and onions and we've got mayonnaise mm -hmm. and some spices. None of this, you look at all the ingredients separate and it's like, there's no way this works together. You put it all together, you got and you something got, there. You got coyote breast you got milk. Coyote <laughs> breast milk. You... <laughs> oh man. I'm so upset at you. <laughs> this is stupid. And now I'm stupid for going along Natalie with it. Natalie in a wine mixer and the coyote breast milk scene. Mm -hmm. Highly quotable. Anyway, go on. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, the studio at this time, uh, the reason why there's not much to go on is because the studio is still in heavy debt uh, due to its emphasis in helping with the wartime effort. Not to mention it's a hierarchical and structural nightmare as Walt continues to harbor grudges against former strikers. Uh, his own position in the studio was kind of like a cat at the front door. Not sure if it wants to go in or get out, uh, flip-flopping, causing a mini panic amongst the creative and executive departments. Also, at this time, Walt is edging closer and closer to being okay go with his latest and greatest project yet, a new revolution in entertainment. So instead of focusing on the same information I gave you the last episode, I'm going to focus on some of the famous names associated with this feature film. I tried not to give you everybody's life story. Tried to just hit the highlights. Um, we're starting off with <clears throat> Mr. Basil Rathbone and Abby. You and I saw him when we watched the court jester together. Yay! He was the yeah, evil Lord Ravenhurst. I do love me some Rathbone. We do love us some Rathbone. 
Uh, and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> he was born June 13th, 1892 in South Africa, moved up to jolly old England, where he spent his school days with friends that called him Ratters, but like in a cool way. And by all accounts, he was an absolute theater jock, being a world-class fencer. 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 Got <laughs> He was a fencing bastard. A fencer, <laughs> he was. Will. He is both in vast quantities. Yeah. Got married, had a son, got separated, struggled to pay his own expenses, and still cover his ex-wife and son because he's just that kind of dude. Mm -hmm. Served in World War One. so did his brother, who died in World War One. And after that, he kind of had this whole reckless abandon for his safety thing going on and volunteered to do insanely dangerous scouting missions during the day, which earned him countless medals for bravery because he was just too good at it to die. Got back home, went back to doing what he did best. Uh, theater, including a starring role in a play called The Captive, which is notable because it was one of the first depictions of homosexuality in modern theater. Yeah, we love it. Was it. Also, we do. It was also done in England in the 20s, so the whole cast got arrested and charged with depicting homosexuality in modern theater. Wow. Uh, yeah, he was very unhappy about it uh, because he thought the story, the story was very important and, you know, people deserved to see it. So, late 30s, World War II going on, he wanted to go to war again and do the world a solid by reducing the Nazi population. <laughs> Instead, uh, they were when they told him he was too old and too injured, he went on to be one of the most prolific actors in British and American film. Famously taught Errol Flynn how to sword fight. Uh, and he would throw the prototypes for big Hollywood parties you hear about. And, you know, like... Uh, he would just have these big rockin' ragers on the mountain. And one of the times, <laughs> Errol Rathbone's Flynn... rockin' rager on the mountain. Absolutely. Uh, one of the times Errol Flynn got super drunk at a party, was taken home by a girl, passed out on her couch, so she drove him back to uh, Basil Rathbone's house and just dumped him on the lawn. <laughs> he woke up in the morning and just went in and had breakfast. Oh, I love it. Ugh. It was the 30s, man. It was the 30s, man. Uh, he was also one of the first and most famous people to ever play Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> later in his life, he would unfortunately be reduced to taking just about any role for the money before his death. Uh, and if we decided to watch another of his movies from 1940, Rhythm on the River in specific, we would see not only Basil Rathbone, but also Bing Crosby working together in starring roles nine years before this film that we watched. Yeah. So, speaking about uh, Bing Crosby, let's move on to him, because, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. Born May 3rd, 1903, middle child of seven, started out his career in a duo with Al Rinker in the vaudeville circuit days, mid-twenties or so. But it wouldn't take him very long to move on to a solo career with a radio program and mounting popularity. 30s saw him sign a contract with Paramount to do some iconic comedies and fatherly roles. Did a lot of movies with Bob Hope, a franchise called The Road Pictures. Uh, the Road to Zanzibar, The Road to India, The Road to Euphoria, whatever. You know, I, I don't remember the names. Um, it was the most lucrative film franchise in the world until the James Bond movies came along, which were eventually surpassed by the bland Marvel movies. Uh, 
had a wife, four kids, she died, had a wife, had three more kids, stuck with them to the end, died October 14th, 1977, while playing golf. His last words were literally, let's get a Coke, and then he had a massive heart attack on the way to the clubhouse. Oh, that's not supposed to be funny, but wow. <laughs> I know, right? Famous last words, literally. <laughs> Famous last words, let's get a Coke. That's a great... <sighs> they, they need to... Um, Coke needs to put that on their advertising. <laughs> Bing Crosby, they need to... Hopefully somebody recorded that and they can just like put that at the end of their ads. Uh, let's get a Coke. Oh! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... Not necessarily described as father of the year, though, probably because in the 80s, one of his kids from his first marriage, Gary, wrote a tell-all memoir accusing him of particularly sadistic and violent abuse. Oh, darn you, Bing Crosby. Now, here's where things get interesting with that, Mm -hmm. or weird with that. Uh, Decades later, sometime in the 2010s, his daughter from his second marriage, Mary Frances, who had a career in the television drama Dallas... She was the one that shot Jr. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched nope, Dallas. No, nothing like, about it. What did What did she say though? Let's go on. She accused her brother of exaggerating the abuse to sell more copies of his book, mm. and he more or less admitted to doing Whoa, just that. I didn't even realize he was still alive. I'm I'm still back in the fifties, man. <laughs> right. Here's the thing. One of Gary's brothers, Lindsay, allegedly still supports the claims. And his other brother, Philip, stands by Mary. Dang. So we can all agree on one thing when it comes to the life and legacy of Bing Crosby. Nobody wants their last words to be product placement. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. There you go. So moving on. We had them in the last episode. We got them in this episode. We know them. You love them. Let's get a little info on the Andrews sisters. Yeah, I love some info. El- Mm-hmm. You've got your eldest sister, Laverne, your middlest sister, Maxine, and your sweet baby sister, Patty, who adhered themselves to music their whole lives and started out as part of a 55-piece band, breaking off in 32 to go their own way. From there, it took them six years to smash the Billboard number one spot with Bemir Miss Duchesne. Yeah, I love it's that song. That... Mm-hmm. It was popular uh, with Nazis for a little while. Oh. Because it was German, but it ceased being popular with Nazis pretty much immediately when they discovered not only that the songwriters were Jewish, but that it was popular with inmates of their camps because it was based on one of the most famous Yiddish love songs of all time. Yes. So, you know, they (laughs) they stopped being wise on it. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe this ain't the one. Mm hmm. Uh, And the 40s, in the 40s, the. Andrew's sisters were everywhere. Movies, radio, cartoons, commercials. Hell, most days you could look out your backyard and see the trio just standing there <laughs> menacingly. And they would they would <laughs> just point at you in perfect yep. synchronization. Every time every time mm-hmm. I think about the Andrew sisters or like the, you know, the blank sisters, I always think of mm-hmm. the Lawrence Welk show that um but the SNL skit, not the actual Lawrence Welk show. <laughs> Have you seen... I was going to say, you watched the Lawrence Welk you know, show? Well, I, I think I've seen clips before, but the SNL skit of the Lawrence Welk show mm-hmm. is probably... It's it's one of the only skits that has like moved me to tears on laughing so hard. Because... I need to see it's that. It's like this... It'll always be a grouping of 
these like sisters and they're singing and then there's always one that pops up played by Kristen Wiig and she <laughs> she does her Kristen Wiig thing and it's <laughs> it's pretty good but anytime I think of the Andrew sisters or anything you know along those lines I think of that skit mm-hmm. but right right it's a good skit I I need to see <laughs> it's it. a good skit he says not having actually seen the skit but I <laughs> I like that I skit. can assure Never you it skit. is a good skit so. Um, outside of that skit, though, uh, the trio kind of got hit hard in the 50s with challenges. Uh, Patty decided she wanted to try her own thing, failed. The trio reunited and tried to get into rock and roll, and they failed. Uh, they managed to play the hits pretty consistently. Laverne passed in 68. Patty and Maxine maintained a steady musical career until the 90s. Wow. Uh, Maxine became the vice president of a college in Tahoe, Nevada. Uh, passed in 95 while on vacation in Cape Cod, and Patty passed in 2013, leaving behind a legacy as one of the best-selling female vocal groups of all time to this day. Hell yeah. Uh, I briefly considered doing a little bit on Ken Darby, the man who arranged music for most of the movies we've seen so far, uh, just because he was insulted that his arrangement of Johnny Appleseed was called New Deal Music by Walt. God only knows what that means. (laughs) But I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't take this last prime opportunity to tell you about someone pretty important to Disney. The man that built the Disney company with his own two hands and a drawing of a funny little mouse. I'm, of course, talking about Ub Iwerks. I freaking knew you. I knew. I knew that was going to be a fake out. You were going to you thought I was going to talk about Disney. But no, no, if I'm talking about the first person to draw a funny little mouse, it's Ub Iwerks. No, I knew that the expectation was that you would be talking about Disney. Yep. yep. I, I, <laughs> I can smell it uh, coming a mile away. I got your number, man. I'm, you got my name. Yep. You got my number. You you, Why don't you call me? You can't me? fake a faker. Just, just true. say that. I probably can't. Can't can't con a confidence woman. Mm-hmm. All right. And you are you are my favorite confident woman. Thank you. Um You're welcome. So tell me about uh, tell me about Oob. Oob. Uh born in nineteen oh one, Kansas City, Missouri, to a German immigrant named Ert Oob Iwerks, <laughs> who named him Oob Ert Iwerks. Uh, imagination didn't run in the family. Apparently not. Uh Yeah, his father was a serial family abandoner, and so his father abandoned him when he was a teenager, forcing him to drop out of school and work. Mm. Uh, While working, he met up with some kid named Walt, and they became friends. Mm. Best friends. The two of them started an art studio called Iwerks Disney. Walt joked that if they named it Disney Iwerks, uh, people would think they made glasses. Uh. After that dissolved... They formed Laughagram, where Ub was the lead animator and Walt was the lead writer. And Ub developed a special series of techniques that allowed him to layer animation onto live-action footage, and vice versa, which they utilized to create the Alice comedies. Uh, While that company was busy going under, Walt took a trip out west and secured a deal with Universal, inviting his friend, his best friend, to come with him, which he did. There, Walt bounced some ideas off of Ub, and they came up with one of the most iconic and beloved characters of all time. That's right, the legendary Oswald the Lucky Freaking Rabbit. <laughs> what, you, you've never heard of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? Uh... Probably because he was stolen from the duo by Universal. What? Uh, Walt being fired, and many of the animators that they'd worked with being poached. Ub was... For yeah, shame. Ub was also offered a... huh? For shame. For shame on them, you know? Just, like, 
they took they took the, the character created very carefully by of iWorks and Walt Disney and they stole it and they stole all his animators away. And, and Disney, you know what? Disney would never do something like that. Right. Ub was <laughs> also offered a contract because he was kind of a ridiculous animator. I'll get to that in a second. But Walt Walt said, "No. We'll start from scratch, you and me against the world." And his friend, his best friend, agreed and went with him where they started Disney Studios for the first time again. So they began bouncing ideas. Got to come up with something good. But what could be better than Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, the legendary character that will last for all time? <laughs> a horse? No, but he keeps that in his back pocket and makes Horace horse collar. I know. I was, was going to say, can't, oh, damn it, can't do a horse because we can't draw horses. <laughs> no, they couldn't draw horses. <laughs> they didn't get anybody who could draw a horse until 1949. <laughs> it took them all the way up until the 40s to get a horse drawer. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Horace horse collar stuck in the back pocket. A cow? No, but he keeps that in his back pocket and it makes Clarabelle cow. Yay. A cat? There's too many cats, but he keeps that in his back pocket and makes Peg Leg Pete. Mm -hmm. It's dusty as to who has the first idea of this, whether it's Ub himself or Disney himself, or if it's based on some sketches done by a completely different animator named Hugh Harmon, but eventually they settle on a mouse. Mickey the Mouse. So, now they gotta do a cartoon, but it's just them. That, Abby, is when Ub the Machine Iwerks shifts into maximum overdrive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in three weeks, averaging 700 drawings a day, Ub the Machine Iwerks creates Plain Crazy, the first Disney Mickey Mouse short. If you want some perspective, most artists of the time would average about 100 frames in a week. Whoa. And he invented the technology to put live action and animation together. And he invented the multi-pane animation that was used in many future shorts. And he invented the technology that would sync sound to animation, first utilized in Steamboat Willie, which was the Mickey Mouse short that blew everyone away because, oh my god, that mouse is really whistling. And he was the one who invented everything that put their company on the map and introduced Disney Animation Studios to the world. And people say, well, Ub, what's your secret? What do you do? He goes, I works. <laughs> That's a secret. You son of a bitch, I hate you. <laughs> All right. I'm so mad. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I hate that you're my best friend. Yep. Oh, my God. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You can take a minute if you okay. need Okay. I'm sorry. I love no, you. It's, it's... It's, I, I sometimes find it hard to deal with myself. I relatable. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is also a pair of, shall we say, formative experiences for Disney. Uh, first, the experience of being betrayed and losing Oswald. Because of that, Disney vows that he will never not own his properties, or at the very least only utilize the public domain to its fullest potential. Second, the experience of being friends, best friends, with Ub the Machine Iwerks. Yeah, you know, that's kind of an earned name. Uh, this combined with his very specific upbringing and mindset meant that he now expected the same kind of above and beyond that he himself and his own best friend would pour into their work, uh, including expecting Ub to be as dedicated then as he would be now. So needless to say, Ub worked harder than anybody else during those early years. It was around 1930 that he decided he was done, with Waltz overbearing and overworking, done taking orders, and done feeling undervalued. So he split. 
he opened the iWorks studio, bringing to it all of his legendary technical skill. Straight up, it would take like 10, maybe 20 artists to replace his talent. The problem with that was that Walt now employed hundreds of artists, many of whom were innovators who took the technology iWorks developed and ran with it. Fred Moore, Ward Kimball, Milt Call, Art Bennett, just off the top of my head. Meanwhile, over at the iWorks studio, he was slowly finding out the hard way that it was true. Imagination didn't really run in his family. The animations were beautiful, but his characters weren't memorable. They weren't special. Things just kind of happened in his pictures, and his company unfortunately folded. And Ub was left bouncing from company to company. He did the um, tee-hee thing <laughs> of working in every company at the time. Hmm. So... It takes nearly a decade from there for Walt and Ub to get back together, meeting for lunch, probably at the Brown Derby. Yes. Walt says, Ub, I've been a dick. And Ub says, stop being a dick. And Walt says, probably not. <laughs> and Ub says, then I can't come back and work for you in animation again. And then Walt says, I beg you. And Ub says, look, I miss you. And I miss steady work. And I miss you. You're my friend. And I love you. And then they have a little Let's kiss. Let's go steady. And then Ub says, huh? Let's go steady. They, they go steady, you know, and then Ub says, okay, how about this? What if I come back and work for you in effects? And Walt says, what does that mean? And Ub says, remember how I invented like techniques and stuff? I'm going to do that for you. And we together, we're going to kill again. And Walt says, <laughs> we're going to murder in. someone. <laughs> we're going to do some deaths and murders. And Walt says, I'm in. And they have a little Aww. kiss. And Ub invents the technology. He reinvents the technology, I should say, that combines live action and animation. And thanks to this, we get Saludos Amigos. We get the Three Caballeros. We get the, mu we get the movie that the characters from Splash Mountain came from. We get Bedknobs and Broomsticks. We get Mary Poppins. He wins Oscars, particularly for his work loaned out to Alfred Hitchcock working on The Birds, putting birds into that movie. There's even an award named after him at the Annie Awards. Every time something new happens in animation, Ub Iwerks is there all the way up to his death in 71, seamlessly incorporating it into the Disney brand. In fact, he's one of the guys that Walt has on his list for that project that will revolutionize entertainment. Hell yeah. And that's everything I have for production. I, most of that was like biographies and of iWorks being a literal machine of a person. Freaking machine. But yeah, it's it sucks, you know, because like he was literally like a legendary irreplaceable animator and he inspired so many legendary irreplaceable animators. Yeah. That he kind of he kind of accidentally put himself out of business at the end there. Yeah. Yeah. But they they made up and got back together. They're going steady now. They killed somebody. They killed a man. Just mate. like the old days. <laughs> the good old days. Um, okay. Well, thank you. And, you know, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather hear biographies and stuff than hear a bunch of things that we've already talked about or hear a bunch of, like, unnecessary things just to fill time. So I'd rather have that and be interested because I am interested in Basil Rathbone and... Oop, I works and I'm glad I was that 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 was the one thing I was worried about when I was looking at my notes. I was like, is this a lot of stuff that's uninteresting? Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you were interested. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you, Nick. You know, thank you, thank thank, you. thank you. you, because I'm also interested in learning about like 
the history that you pull up of like folklore and like when you tell me like you know about how how Washington Irving named characters and you tell me about like how Pecos Bill is just a trash bag of ideas <laughs> written by a much more interesting <laughs> yeah, person written by an actual like folk like American folk hero. <laughs> yeah, he could have been an American folk yeah. hero if he if he had better self esteem. Yeah. Oh no, everybody wants to hear about Pecos Bill. They don't want to hear about my legendary exploits in 10 wars. I mean, he like, he did let's... write an autobiography. But like I feel like he should have just stopped there. I I have to stop myself though because like maybe he did some stuff that screwed up, but I don't know. I mean, he was a mercenary about... and he yeah, did a lot of stuff for different countries and a lot of Latin American countries. So there's probably a lot of horrible things that he did. So in essence, he yeah. kind of is the real Pecos Bill. <laughs> You're absolutely right on I'm, that. Oh, I my mean, God. his nickname was literally Tex. That's not his real name. That's his. Yeah, you don't you don't get the nickname Tex for being a a, a good and normal, well-adjusted person. <laughs> yeah. Side eyeing Tex Avery. And kind to foreigners. <laughs> mm hmm. Uh, You'd get it by being a soldier for... Tex Avery. Yeah. Soldier for hire. Um, so onions. I don't really have that much to say about these pieces. I really loved um, Icky Toad just because I like those two individual stories. I think besides the horrible, regrettable Scottish accent, um, <laughs> I think that these are two really tight pieces that they are... You know, they're great accompaniments of their original stories. And I think that, I, I don't know, I just, I just really loved it. Um, it made up for the fact that I had to watch Melody Time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's all I can really say about it. Um, I will say it sucks because I love the character of Joe Carioca. But I, by now, it like hardly registered that he was there. I was just like, oh, yeah, there he is. Apparently, they just couldn't get the voice actor back. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But then it's but then it's like, just don't even have it there. I mean, like, I like the lady organist, but she she yeah. doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. She was lovely. Yeah. And I, I love to watch her play the organ. Yeah. And but like it was supposed to be like equal parts organ playing and animation interaction and which is difficult if you don't have the voice actors i mean yeah. i'm sure they had clarence nash kicking around but if you if you don't have the was it clarence nash the voice of disney i don't know uh i, I might be talking out of my ass here but i know clarence nash was a voice of donald duck yeah i don't remember but and it's funny yeah i think uh it's it's important to have joe Carioca's actual voice actor because as hard as it is it as it apparently was to get a Scottish voice actor, I think it would be even more difficult to get a Brazilian voice actor. Yeah. I don't think you could. And you can't just, and he has such an iconic yeah, voice. Yeah, you couldn't get another karaoke uh, to get to play Joe Karaoke. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, that's, that's why the, probably one of the best characters they've ever come up with just had to go by the wayside. Was very sad. I will say his body language was very Cari Joe Carioca, and it was very, very cool. I liked him yeah. in that. But I would have liked him a lot better if I could have heard him. Yeah, there's really no like. Even though I do like the story of John Chapman, I don't know if there was a single segment in Melody Time that I actually would willingly watch again. And that's like, that's the first time that that has happened in. 
the history of this podcast in watching. I mean, we watched, you know, 11 films at this point. It's the first time Wild. that it's happened that like even Dumbo, I would, you know, be fine with watching it again, even though, you know, I maybe wouldn't love to watch it again. I wouldn't mind watching yeah. it again, but. I I had some segments in Melody Time that I would absolutely love to see again. I, I think between Melody Time, Make Mine Music, and Fantasia, you can put together a really solid singular package feature that can be pitched to everybody. Yeah, I just feel like, I don't know. Yeah, like Fantasia, there were some that I liked, and then Fun and Fancy Free, Make My Music, there were things that I liked, but Melody Time, it, I mean... None of them, besides Pecos Bill, were, like, all all bad, you know, but it was more just, yeah. like, it. there wasn't enough of a positive to get me to focus in and actually enjoy it. Yeah, like, altogether, the sum of its parts are not cohesive enough to yeah. be good. <laughs> it's truly, it is truly, like, ending the package film era on a, a flatulent whimper. Yeah, like this is this is this is basically what is described as Walt's rummage sale of ideas. Yeah. Well, I thought that was like, make my music or is it both? That was the whole that was the whole package film era yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> I could say you could Make say. my music was like the the good stuff that you have in the attic and then melody time is like the, you know, six flags t-shirts and like the mm -hmm. you know, the leftover silverware with the plastic handles that you find in your garage. <laughs> yeah. If they had to do this, if they had to do this again, I am certain they would have just gone under. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's just not, not great. Um, it's the last little, little dingleberry would, hanging on to the package. Film here. We would absolutely be like looking at Oppenheimer princesses <laughs> instead of Disney princesses. Yeah. Um, that's a callback because yeah. one, of, one of my friends said they really liked that. Oh, joke. really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we aim to please. Um, but oh, and I don't know if you have any crackpot theories. I didn't really think of any crackpot theories, unfortunately. I've actually got my full OOC. All right. Uh, my observation, opinion, crackpot theory. Take it away. All right. Observation. Uh, fun fact. Many clips from the Wintertime segment were repurposed and recut into one of the Disney home video sing-along VHS tapes. How do I know this? Because I have that VHS tape. Mm -hmm. It's called Disney's Sing-Along Songs, Very Merry Christmas Songs. They set it to Jingle Bells, and there's a Joy to the World segment with the Winter Fairies from Fantasia. I would watch this religiously at Christmas time when I was a wee lad. Aw. And you're a wee lad. Yeah. Also... I can say with confidence that I recognized recycled footage from Bambi in Mr. Toad when the the uh, dogs are after him in the streets. Mm -hmm. So, let's get right into the opinion. Uh, melody time, start off with. This is honestly deserving of Make Mine Music's title of Worse Fantasia. <laughs> it feels like the most incoherently slapped together package feature to date, and I shouldn't be as surprised as I am. Uh, production of this really was in the thick of we gotta do literally anything with nobody because war. Uh, 
Yeah, I I got some I got some genuine joy out of a few segments. Johnny Appleseed, Trees, most of Pecos Bill, and it was fun to see Donald and Joe again. But I wish they'd talked. That's that's three and a half out of seven segments, and that's sad. It was sad. Would you say instead of something being like greater than the sum of its parts, would you say that Melody Times less less than the sum of its parts? It's l- Absolutely, <laughs> I would. I would go out on a limb and say, like, there there are huge chunks of it that drag it down. Think, uh, yeah. Jarring was Johnny Appleseed showing Native Americans as just, like, people who were friendly. And then Pecos Bill, who had to do a cheeky little racism on them for no reason other than that's toxic white America's perception of cowboy culture, baby. baby. How come you can cut sunflower, but not the painted desert or the roustabouts? Do better. Do better. And, plus, freaking... John Chapman was a real person, and that is how he treated Native Americans in real life. Yet Pecos Bill is a fake lore character, not even a folklore character. He's a fake lore character created in like yeah. basically the twenties, and yet Native Americans are treated worse by a fictional character in like a yeah, fictional like that way. That was where they could get away with. That was where they could get away with the lazy low blow that is a racist joke. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying it's ironic because normally it would be like a fictional character where you're making everything up. And so it's a nicer kind of like, you know, sugar-coated version of the truth, like it, how, you know, racism doesn't exist in uh, Princess and the Frog <laughs> versus yeah, yeah. like real life horrible things happening. But it's like with this, it, it's and- like the, the opposite is true. And need I remind you, like, the worst is yet to come. <laughs> the worst is yet to come. Da, 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 da. Oh. We haven't even seen the most despicable uh, uh, depiction of Native American people in Disney cinema. Like, we're we're, we're getting, we're getting there. there. We're we're so close. We're getting so close, my friend. I can. Oh my God, we are we are at the first star on you the can, right. You can smell the pipe smoke, the peace pipe smoke. Mm-hmm. So why don't I give you my opinion on Icky Toad? Uh, I think that the best way to describe this movie is whimsical. Even when it's frightening and sleepy hollow, it has a strong measure of whimsy. It really felt like they were still trying to find the moderation between frightening and fanciful. It has its technical flaws, like recycled animation, cut corners mcbadger's voice but these are all forgivable on account of how strong the stories are how fabulous the characters are and some good old-fashioned complete lack of racism unless somebody tells me that like the weasels were all irish or or like the um or winky was like an italian stereotype yeah like (laughs) another italian stereotype in in disney it's more likely than you'd think So before I go on to the ranking, I'm going to give you my little crackpot theory. Give it to me. Originally, Basil Rathbone was to play the uptight and proper Ichabod Crane, while Bing Crosby was to play the wild and carefree Mr. Toad. This was changed only in pre-production when they decided that the British guy should play the British guy and the American should play the American. I like that. I rather (laughs) enjoy that because they really are like the opposite of each other. 
They are, you know, like you get, I mean, you know, when you find out about Basil Rathbone and his personal life throwing wild Hollywood parties, you know, it, it skews it a little bit, but every character that, like Basil Rathbone was known for playing like the definitive Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah, the, the very kind of that, the the cold, distant intellectual type, which I mean, Ichabod, to be fair, Ichabod is also kind of like a. A, a pleasure-seeking type, but not yeah. in like a festive way. More in like a yeah, I'm smart and I'm better than everyone, and I know that I'm better than everyone. He's a leisure-seeking type. Yes. you know he he wants things to be easy for him. Yes, it's like the um the the Joe Carioca. Um, I don't remember what the what the name was. That it was Ooh, a term for like somebody who is kind of a a, like a kind of lazy ladies man who's malandro a malandro yeah um i'm learning from you yeah you're learning from me um Yay. but yeah like a kind of malandro type but yeah that's that's i like that crackpot theory i accept that crackpot theory um, um so i don't really have any crackpot theories i don't know weirdness i guess technically maybe we could have crackpot theory be that Brom Bones killed Ichabod Crane. Yeah, there we there go. go. That's that's a good. We'll we'll call that the crackpot theory for the day. Or or haha. What if oh. the headless horse? I was actually thinking about this before. What if we make a story where the headless horseman was actually a the ghost of the last person who uh, was trying for Katrina's hand? Like she she was trying he was trying to marry her, but he was killed by you know, Katrina or by Brom Bones or killed by somebody. And so he waits to warn others and scare others away who would fight for her affections because he doesn't want them to end up like him. Oh. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. That's like, that. that's why in the song, it's you can't reason with a headless man is because he doesn't, you know, listen to you defending why... You need to stay and fight for her affections. He just wants you out. He wants to scare mm-hmm. you away. And that's why Ichabod was scared away. Spooked by a spooks person. Spooked by a spook. Yeah. Um, so that could be my crackpot theory. All right. All right. We'll go with, we'll, we'll go with that one. We'll go with yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yes. So that is all. Do you want to do ranking first or do you want me to do my ranking? Uh, I'll do, I, can, I can do ranking first if you don't mind. Oh, you go right ahead. All right, so uh, my top four remain the same. Uh, Bambi, Fantasia, Make Mine Music, and Three Caballeros. Mm-hmm. However, I got to give number five to Icky Toad. Mm. It's very close, but it's purely because the horses in Icky Toad are better to look <laughs> at. Uh, my list bottom got a little bit of a shakeup with uh, Melody Tyne taking the very last spot in the top 10. Hmm. I enjoyed it less than Snow White. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's got marginally less racist content than Dumbo. <laughs> like we're really they, they do, dancing on a razor's edge right now. <laughs> really are. They they do a, I, I, the way I see it is this. They do a one racism in the okay. um melody time. They do a two racism in this Dumbo. This is some dubious math. You're you're known for your it's, dubious math. Uh, listen, 
Okay, that's that's twice as racism. Uh, which is half as much as magic. <laughs> that's yeah. Okay, so we divide the magic by the amount of quarters right. we get from whales. Okay, yeah, <laughs> whales and whales and giants, and and one, whales and, and one, giants and puppets give us nickels. Wonders. Um, oh yeah, we mm-hmm. didn't really have any one tooth wonders. I mean, we had there was a fish in uh, yeah. Mr. Toad that was had one tooth wonder, and then there was the lady. Oh no! The, the happily dancing lady in uh, Sleepy Hollow. I didn't get to mention the happily dancing lady she in Sleepy Hollow. She deserved way better. I okay, she. Can I just take a moment to put a spotlight on who I have referred to as uh, the blacksmith's daughter? Oh yeah, because she's she is so cute, and I get that. I get it. Like the movie wants us to believe that she's the ugly girl. Mm-hmm. But she's so cute. Yes, she's, she's adorable. She's, she's happy. She's a little she's... chubby, like happy girl who doesn't have any voice lines. She just kind of laughs. Um, she has some singing lines. Oh yeah, I guess she does in uh, Ichabod Crane, and she has like yeah. kind of unruly black hair and long eyelashes, and um, she is seen as the undesirable woman that is keeping, you know, Brom Bones from dancing with Katrina because she won't let him go Mm. and so eventually he like freaking manhandles her and like locks her in a he locks her outside which is supposed to be funny but she just goes right on breaks through the front door again still happy and goes right on dancing such a delight I love her positive attitude I love her so much I want to make a story about her yeah I'm gonna do that Oh, blessed be! I'll I'm read it. I'm gonna do that. Blessed be. Um. All right. Where did where where did we leave off? I I lost the you. Plot. I think you you that ends the ranking. I think because you said that it's melody time and then Dumbo. Yes. So, mine is. Are you finished? Okay. I'm finished. Um. So mine is not the same as yours. <laughs> So, taking my number one spot is Icky Toad. Because really? I like both stories, and I like that they are both based on, like, short stories, and I just loved it. It was so, like, happy and pleasant and cool. Um, and it, I'm glad you enjoyed it that yeah, much. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. And, and it's definitely, like, closer to your wheelhouse. Yes, and it was just delightful, and it didn't, none of the stories overstayed their welcome. They didn't drag. There was no unnecessary humor about feral characters, um, unless it, the situation called for it. I just loved it. I don't know. It was, it was awesome. And then a very close second is Bambi. Very, very close second. Um, mm-hmm. Then number three, Fun and Fancy Free. Number four, Pinocchio, and number five, Make Mine Music. Uh, then down at the very bottom, taking the very, very last spot, is Melody Time. Because even though it does have half the... I don't even want to... I don't want to quantify racism. <laughs> um, but even though it has maybe less racist screen time, I still felt like Dumbo was more bizarre and entertaining especially with the pink elephants on parade and i don't know i I just i thought that was it was more for whatever reason or another it was more entertaining to me 
than melody time. I mean, I keep forgetting about the entertaining visual elements of Dumbo, mm -hmm. but like at the same time, yeah, yeah, and memor memorability is a big thing too. Where if you really can't remember certain parts of a movie, then you know. It's not that, oh, maybe it's better than I think it is. It's no, the fact that you can't remember parts of it means that you probably, it probably has a home down at the bottom of the list because it wasn't memorable right. for you. Yeah, like what it is, is that is, that movie is perfect fodder. It's one of those things where like, it is less than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's perfect fodder to be cut up and put into like, uh, a, a movie of short compilations or a, a Disney sing-along picture. Yeah, true. Yeah. Like, uh, a couple of years ago, Disney released a American Legends DVD, finally, mm -hmm. that has Johnny Appleseed, Pecos Bill, um, a, a story about a train engineer that's based on a true story from, like, like a couple of years after Was this. That... And a brand new one based on... Um, I need to look that... John Henry. Hmm... Wait, let me see. Because I couldn't remember. Yeah, John Henry. Okay. Um, I was trying to remember because I was like, for the longest time, I remembered John Henry's like story because, you know, as growing up in West Virginia, of course, everyone knows John Henry. Yeah. But I couldn't remember like his name and that was messing me up. And then whenever you said train engineer, I'm like, oh, is that him? So then I looked it up and no, it is. It's not. It's John Anyway, yeah. yeah. It's different. Train Engineer is a different guy from John Henry, yeah. but John Henry was a steam guy. Yeah. Well, and he was the, like, fought against the steam engine. Yeah. Or whatever. I loved, I, I loved the story of so John good. Henry growing Sad, up. but good. Two stories. Two stories that I really loved growing up were specifically, like, John Henry and uh, Harriet Tubman. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, Yes, she is yeah. freaking legend. She, you know what? We need to rework our American legends. I am like. We really yeah. do. There's. Sacagawea. Yeah. She's got to go in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, I would say we could do Pocahontas, but I feel like even with the best of intentions, she's been in the limelight far too much. And it's like people will always get the wrong idea about her. Pocahontas is a real cut your losses kind of scenario. Yeah. Because, like, at the end of the day, she prevented uh, a guy from being executed because she loved him. Yeah. And wh wh where did that but, lead? But at the same time, she was a child, and Disney, speaking, knock, knock, who is it? Mm -hmm. hey, Disney. Disney racism. Um, and they ch completely changed the perception of Pocahontas. And so it just was, ugh, ugh. Yeah, that's a that's a cut your losses <laughs> scenario. Yeah. Um, but yes, they need to completely redo the American Legends things. Anyway, yay ranking, and we did it, and we did it. <laughs> we did it, but unfortunately, uh, this might be it, Abby. What might be it? It is, it is. It's the late. It's the late late forties, and the studio is in shambles. The war is over, Abby, oh. the, and. We're all out of money. What are we going to do? Oh, no. You know what, what are we going to do? do? For the third time in the company's history, we're going to make the movie that saves the company. Whoa. What's Whoa. that movie going to be? Cinderella, yeah. baby. Back to form. 
Every time you got to save the company, you just you just make another princess movie. <laughs> That's the Disney way. It really is. Up into the modern era, yeah. too. It's wild. They always return. All roads lead to Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll we'll dive into that one next time when we dissect the mouse. I don't know what that was. Dissecting the Mouse would like to thank the artists and editors who have been involved. Morgan, Eric, the Cowboy, and Connor. Links to the artists and a bibliography of our sources can be found in the expanded credits. We would also like to thank the researchers, Abby and Nate. Nate would like to thank his library co-workers. As it is a review based on subjective opinion, Dissecting the Mouse is not intended to be a scholarly source. Thank you for listening. Just imagine um, once we get sponsored by Blue Apron. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love the confidence there once we get sponsored. I mean, they sponsor everyone and their grandma. You know, like yeah. they, they, they're practically pulling people off the streets and putting them in a re- recording booth. Putting, them in, them, putting them in a Blue Apron? Put it, pick them up off the street, put them in a Blue Apron, stick them in a booth <laughs> and say, you do a podcast now. Now advertise our product. <laughs> you do podcast that'd be funny if they did if they like just randomly had interns just start podcasts just so that they could promote blue apron yeah yeah they're they're out there like doing their best like uh superman villain impersonation going cast before pod and that is a reference that i do understand (gasps) you've seen the superman movies nope (laughs) oh (laughs)